Hey everybody, this is Crime Scene Analysis. I'm Angie. I'm Jess. And I'm Caroline. And we are back bringing you episode 203, Alma Mater. This is written by Lisa Randolph and it is directed by Omar Mada, who also happened to direct The Trip. Oh, hey, oh. I should know that. That's my favorite yes. episode. I Okay, yes. see, so, yeah, this is why I keep you around because you figure out those details. So. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I, I looked it up and it popped up on the IMDb as two episodes and I was like, what could it? Because that's, what a great episode. What two episodes? Good job, mm -hmm. Omar. Okay, so let's jump in. At the 17 second mark, I just want to throw out a personal well-played promo creator because boy, were we all, how's Martin going to get out? What's going to happen? What's the consequences of <laughs> getting out? And not a single time did my stupid ass go, it's probably a hallucination. Wait, really? Because I didn't watch any promo clips or anything except for, I'm not doing too well with that this time. I'm like not scouring the internet to watch everything. Neither but am I. I, I, ha I didn't see anything for this episode except for what they showed us after last week. So like, obviously all we get is a little bit of Martin showing up and saying, honey, I'm home. And I was like, come on, really? What are they? But they changed the coloring in scenes that are Malcolm's hallucinations or dreams. This one had a weird, the dreams usually have a weird like yellow tone to them almost. And the rest of the show doesn't. So I was like, the, it, within like two seconds of it being on screen, I was like, this is Martin's dream. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm over here calculating like, okay, how long can we still have Martin to contact if he does this? Like, I was just such an idiot. Like, yeah. what would you do this? Writer? I think I, I would have to go back and look at some of the scenes from season one when we do see flashbacks in Martin's study as well as current time mm -hmm. in Martin's study. If you notice, Martin's study in the when he climbs through the wall looks mm -hmm. like it did the last time he saw it, not yeah. like it is now. Mm -hmm. I did not even so, consider that wall. Yeah, I like I, don't, I just like I was thinking of that and I was like, oh yeah, this is so a dream. His wall doesn't look like, like that would, anymore. There were boxes and things were covered and it'd be dusty and yeah. disgusting and it yeah. was like bright and then, paint, and good it was bright catch. and had stuff well on the walls Jess. and <laughs> so yeah, my very Hats tired brain Jess. managed. Hats off to Jeff. <laughs> A very tired brain managed to catch that like one thing. I watched this three times and not once did I go, hey, what's going on there? <laughs> Nothing. I am yeah. a little depressed. I secretly really wanted to see Jess just hurl drink and or drink and tumbler right at him, just yes. kapink off the off the cap. No, but whatever. I'm fine. Um, I did want to throw a little shout out to the song that plays behind this whole little fantasy world that is it's a song called did you ever have to make up your mind by a band called Lovin' spoonful so props to that name i don't know what exactly it means it is like a classic old school like 60s 70s uh, almost like brady bunch variety hour style you know stuff and the whole song is about like trying to decide between two women it's appropriately written like you know did you ever have to decide whose hands you're going to hold or who you're going to kiss at the end of the night blah 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 but I really feel like lyrically, there's really no symbolism there. I think it's just, we pick the weirdest upbeat 60s pop song we could think of for his, for his dream sequence, maybe. I'm not sure. I enjoyed the lighting in this scene too. The way they did that, as soon as Malcolm tells him like, none of this is real, everything gets dark. We have much like the last episode, they did the Ainsley Agnes switch 
where you know you turn the camera and then boom someone else is there they did that with Jess and um and Malcolm and then I love they do this thing where it goes dark behind Malcolm and he's front lit and then as soon as the lights come back up they're at Claremont and that was a really neat thing they have not done that trick at all in an episode before and visually I was like oh that was really cool like I it almost took me away from the scene a little bit because I was focused on how neat that little trick of theirs was it was very trippy it was also very nice to see that um, in Martin's head, Malcolm has the upper hand. When we see dreams, normally Martin has the upper hand, but this wasn't Malcolm's dream. So it was interesting to see that in Martin's head, he's still like, there's something that he attaches to, to Malcolm that scares him. And Malcolm Although, has a bigger hold on his dad than we like to think or than Martin likes to think. Exactly. And also, was there, um, what was the episode where, I think it's Martin's dream, and he's with Malcolm at, in his cell, and it's like the whole, like, my little boomerang conversation. Wasn't that another example where Malcolm had the upper hand? I think so. That's the one where he gets, like, retracted into the wall. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he very much, like, he stepped over the line and was in his personal space and, you know never gonna see me again rar yeah i think that was another yeah. like martin dream where he realized yeah. like oh crap like my son can leave me and that scares me yeah which shows that it's a consistent thing it's not just this one place in time that martin's dream like shows that malcolm has the upper hand in his head it's happened more than once so mm-hmm. and that relationship is more reciprocal than martin wants malcolm to think yes yeah like he very much needs him just as much as Malcolm also needs to be going back to figure things out. Exactly. Yeah. Another shout out, um, first of all, to Susan Kent and Gabe Hilfer for the two songs that open. Wham, wake me up before you go, go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I sang this song all day Wednesday and shout out had to explain to my freshman in high school who Wham was and what the song Wake Me Up Before You Go Go is. I that made them listen so to sad. it. So I hope that they all had to sing it in their head the rest of the day. Cause I'm like, darned if you aren't gonna know this song. I'm gonna yeah. do my job as a human oh, and introduce you to Wham. That's devastating to me personally. <laughs> I had such a like, God, I'm old moment when that happened. They just went Wham. I was like, oh yeah. You were born in like 2009 or whatever. Oh, <laughs> I was like, I'm not even that much older than your students. And I love that song. Like, right. <laughs> come on. Um, I enjoyed another, well, oh, there were a couple times in this episode, actually, that we got some Malcolm in athletic clothing, mm-hmm. which is the polar opposite. Typically, most females, at least, uh, maybe I'm projecting myself, but like the tailored suit is the like, that you're looking for and not that it's not with Malcolm like he looks amazing Tom looks great in those suits they're all well custom made beautiful but it's just like when it's the thing you see so much that it's like oh a sweatshirt you get really excited when he's on like joggers on the on the peloton or whatever he's doing you know we we like Um, casual Malcolm casual Malcolm is a good thing not gonna lie it's enjoyable and we got it twice so shout out to Mm -hmm. Randolph, Miss Lisa, well written. We appreciate you. At the 238 mark, Malcolm eats a bite of licorice, which if I am counting is the second time we have seen our boy actually eat on camera. 
Carol pointed this out to me when I was doing an analysis way back in the day for the first season. He does eat some soup. He kind of slurps a little bit of soup, I believe, if you were correct. Yes. And if I'm not mistaken, feel free to point me out if I'm wrong. I'm cool with being wrong. I think this is only the second time we've actually seen something non-liquid enter, like not a drink mm-hmm. enter his mouth. Because we had the bagels and the things last week, but he never ate it because he had a flashback. And every time we're at a brunch scene or something else, he gets a call or something happens and he, or he's playing with the food and we never physically see him eat it. Mm -hmm. So I am very excited that the licorice and sparkling water were, he he was subsiding on them as so Jessica likes to tell us he does. Breakfast of champions. At the 311 mark, I feel like, you know, maybe the writers are listening to our podcast. I'd like to dream that in my wildest dreams. Because we got clarification on if Mr. David's being paid or not. (laughs) I literally ranted about this last week. I'm like, what? He has to know. I still think either he is playing super dumb or he is way more observant. And I refuse to think negatively about our Mr. David. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say that he is just over Martin's shit and is just (laughs) in his head thinking everything he can think to not have to listen. But we do see Martin actively pause what he's saying and look at Mr. David as though, oh, wait, I can't say that. Even though there's been a lot of <laughs> incriminating things spoken with him in the room before, at least yeah. we made an effort to explain that situation in this episode. Yeah, I, I think I wrote m- multiple times in my notes, <laughs> Mr. David is still not here for Martin Whitley's shit. <laughs> <laughs> Just the look on his face throughout the entire episode is absolutely priceless. I love it. Yeah. Much appreciated. Can you you just imagine that being your job is to just sit in a cell for, I don't know, eight, 12 hours all day for years with this guy? I mean, I would absolutely be done. With the things like, are we available at four? Mm -hmm. Like you narcissistic little dick. Like what are you? I would literally just be like, nope, I'm out. And just go sit in the hallway or something. (laughs) I'm good. You can hang out by yourself in here. No thanks. Yes. So at 416, this might be one of the few moments for this episode that I've got a little bit of a gripe. I didn't feel like Papa Gil was in in Gil character in this first scene with Gil very much. We have, so he comes in, uh, Malcolm ends up hanging up on his dad because he's like, my real dad's here. And he, you know, talks to Gil. (laughs) At least that's how I picture it in my mind. My real daddy's here. Click on fake daddy. (laughs) Um, Like I had to have known what that was going to do and if not Malcolm verbalizes in this scene like no I don't want to go it was misery it was absolutely traumatic I don't want to and he kind of plays well the mayor's breathing down my neck blah 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 when Malcolm has basically said please no like this is not something I want to do and Malcolm rarely runs away from a, a crime so that should have been like ding this is weird and I just, the kind of my lucky day line didn't feel like something that Gil would say related to a dead body. Like he's not really, he's not a Dresa. Like he's not going to make that like pee moment with a body. Yeah. It just felt a little bit out of character for Gil. And I get that we have to guilt Malcolm to continue the plot. Um, but it was like, of all the people, it just, it didn't feel very organic for Papa Gil. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I saw somebody else say that at some point. I don't know if it was one of us in discord or somebody on twitter or someone on facebook but i I do i do recall seeing that mentioned by at least somebody else yeah this is one thing that prior to the episode six analysis release was kind of blowing up um or 
synopsis release was blowing up the social media a little bit. Like people were kind of not really pleased about it. I do want to shout out this really cool kind of remix of the We're the Same theme that plays over the title card. I don't know if anyone else heard it. I did notice I, that. It was like it. It actually had kind of almost a little bit of a club beat behind it. Like there it was did. a bass line and it was an electric piano instead of like your strings and your regular acoustic piano. And it really was something that, you know, I felt like I was waiting for the little like ur, 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 of like the DJ, you know, or something. That's my impression of a DJ. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> Um, it, like it was really kind of cool and it's only for like I think I counted like three bars or so like it's not very long no. but as soon as it normally when we see the title card we get that like like sound and this was like like a little upbeat remix I was like okay Nathaniel let's go it made me very happy at 509 we meet our cadaver who was headmaster <clears throat> Nathaniel Brumback <laughs> Could that potentially be a shout out to my favorite composer, Nathaniel Bloom? I think it is. And if not, I'm still claiming that it is because he deserves a shout out, although not really as a cadaver. <laughs> Other than that, please. <laughs> I'm hoping that that was a little bit of a shout out to Nathaniel Bloom. Come on, respect. And can we please talk about Adresa bringing oh. the just blatant, when was the last time he brought Tally to orgasm? <laughs> okay, but this entire entire scene from the minute she pops up out of the water to looking the like, like a sperm. when she swims away looking oh, like a sperm oh my God. Has, i'm saying it i don't care she doesn't have regular goggles and a snorkel she's, she's got, got this weird spacey ones. white sperm bag. <laughs> <laughs> she's wearing oh a little wetsuit being all adorable and then she's like let's talk about sex oh my goodness i don't know what those writers were doing for that entire scene but whatever it was Keep I doing was, it because I was loving priceless. it. Priceless. I was loving the it. faces. Like I slow mode when I rewatched. Like <laughs> Gil's face, Malcolm's face is like, hmm. and then he looks over. Like, do you think they've done that? <laughs> like, it was so funny. And it was also kind of like good point. I don't know. I just love the fact that this guy knows so much about babies, and so that I was just like, oh, makes perfect sense. He knows, you know, where they come. <laughs> When and that is one from. of the few cliched TV show things that doctors actually tell you. Speaking as a previously pregnant human that went over their due date, that was like the first thing that was like, oh, we'll go home and have sex. Yeah. And there, no, sta there stands my husband like, well, this is, is that a prescription? Like, what, <laughs> what are we doing? Yeah. Is that like doctor's like, orders? I'm very confused. He's like, wait, now I can't because you told me I had to. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's like not as fun because you've been yeah. ordered to do it and it's not mm -hmm. what you're supposed to do. <laughs> but I was like, oh, like there's so many things about being pregnant and having a baby that are just so dramatized in TV shows and movies. And you're like, yeah, it's not like that. And that one thing I was like, yeah, yep, that mm -hmm. that, that is a doctor's thing. They will say Yeah, that. actually effective. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so touching on this, since we are in a scene that involves it, uh, we found out through Bellamy's tweets that Frank is not present in the episode because he had a um, potential exposure to COVID. So he was quarantining for everyone's safety because our show rocks when it comes to that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, I'm kind of wondering to imagine that the baby Tarmel episode had much more like her texting him, is she in labor while they're on a case or something that was definitely gonna involve Frank more. And I think that given that he probably had to quarantine for two weeks, which is probably going to be next episode too, if I'm not, 
unless there was a break in there somewhere or something happened. I think this is a kind of genius way to play, you know, the cards you have in your hand and say, okay, well, this makes sense. It's going to work out. I just can't imagine they would have wrote Danny on a phone for the whole episode. Like, that's just not how that would have gone down. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, also kind of like, it was a little out of character, although not exactly, because I'm sure that we can kind of understand that her and JT are close in some oh, yeah. capacity because they were, you know, it was just them before Malcolm. But mm-hmm. yeah, it did kind of strike me as being sort of interesting that she was like glued to her phone. And then, of course, then my headcanon continues and I'm like, is she texting Tallymore or JT or like whatever? And I just, oh my God, the, the freaking Foley balloon. I, the second that came out of her mouth and I, so as someone who considered career changing and becoming a midwife, I knew exactly what that was. And I was like, don't say it, don't say it. And then Malcolm is like, oh yeah. It's like, oh my God, of course you know what that is. In the straight face with which, which granted he's preoccupied and kind of like in the zone because of some trauma, but just see, oh yeah, the thing in, in the cervix and you inflate and he just keeps going. And yeah. the fact that like, it's so funny to see kind of the role reversal where stereotypically you would expect a female to maybe know that versus yes. a male. And Danny's just like, oh dear God. Which is also valid. This is the thing I know. This is the thing I know as a normal human, you know? Yes. Like, yes. I mean, I'm a pregnant woman who went through, I was a pregnant woman. Let me paint that past tense, past tense was a pregnant woman. My husband listened to this and goes, what? <laughs> <laughs> that, that, I had no idea what that was. Thankfully, that was nothing I ever had to experience, but that was nothing that popped up in the books I read or in, you know, never something I had to talk about. So I was like, what is that? And then when he said that, I just, I, I think I had the same reaction that men have when they see someone get hit in the crotch in a movie. Like just that, oh, like yeah, I'm that was, you tally. I'm so sorry, boo. That was like, definitely Danny's expression, I think. <laughs> yes. Like that was our kind of solidarity moment for Tally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Poor Tally. <laughs> I do want to go back really quick to the pool. I am so impressed that like the set design of that, they had to mount those things in the pool. Everything in there would have floated. Yeah. Like everything. So I I was just when I was rewatching it, all I could think of was like, why was that the thing they let float? Why is this the thing that they want on the ground? Like, it was very interesting. And then also thinking, was this a real pool? Did they just like screw into the cement of a real pool? Like, like, did they build an entire pool knowing they were going to completely demolish its ability to actually hold water <laughs> once you started <laughs> screwing things into the ground? And my, my technical side, which is a small part of my English brain, um, was very curious as to how that happened. Because at one point there, it's so funny. There's a phone on a desk and the cord and the phone are floating, <laughs> but the phone base is still on the desk. And I was like, sure, absolutely. Yeah, why not? <laughs> we don't do physics on this show. That's fine. I don't do physics ever. So yeah. judgment-free zone coming from Anne in this particular department. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if I care. At 7.10, I had to touch on this. Malcolm chooses his surname. And I think it is so interesting to know that that came when he was still in high school. I kind of assumed it would be on his way to college, like maybe applying to colleges, he he switched. Um, so close, but not quite. Like he was still in high school when he chooses it. And thinking as kind of a symbolic and a analytical brain to be a high school kid and that is the name he chose there's just so much you can kind of dive into with that like it is so much him wanting to get out of the shadow of the surgeon 
and we all knew that had to be where it came from but to hear 17 year old Malcolm be the one to choose it kind of hit me in the feels a little bit I was like he just wants to be away yeah bless his heart I still want to figure out where exactly he got it from and that's what as soon as this scene happened I was hoping like oh is Martin gonna ask like where the heck did you get that from so now this is making me wonder is this you know right this surname slash maybe nickname is this like common knowledge to all of the characters that we you know hopefully we'll find out I just I want to know who gave him you know where did he get this from because I know that like I think with you guys at least we've talked about you know was this something that Jackie had called him or something I just I want to know I want to know that's another one of those head cannons that I have to consciously because we did have that we had this like hours long discussion of in our head cannon Jackie would call him like a bright boy or a bright young man or something like that and that would be like his connection so in my head that's absolutely how it went down yes yes you know, I'm sure that's not canon but I'm gonna sit here and hold on to that dream <laughs> it's going to be because we haven't met Jackie yet and until then <laughs> oh my god can we please meet Jackie yeah next episode I wonder, please. now yeah we know Lou said that one of the vanished episodes was very much Gil-centric so I'm wondering I don't even want to know because it's going to break my heart so bad to know that we missed a Jackie opportunity last season just don't tell me it's better not to know I don't yeah. want to know mm-hmm. so I have to go through this because I had had some polite disagreements. It was not in any way nasty with anyone um, at all on Twitter about Malcolm's age. And we got confirmed stuff. I am so excited. We finally, we know for sure he is either 32 or 33, depending on when his birthday is. And I'm still waiting for us to learn that, writers. (laughs) That's something we need as well. But I did a little bit of math, which is a scary thing for me, I know. Between (laughs) him graduating in 06, which is two years after me, and also um, the Professor Delaney said something about like being respectful or appreciating his brain for 15 years. If you add up the 17 to 18 year old senior ratio with all that stuff, that puts him at 32 to 33. So I was happy about that. Speaking of teenage years, 10.05, teen brain. As a high school teacher, can I please say this is a thing. <laughs> This is a thing I see every day. We cannot weigh the consequences of our actions. So we spout our mouth off to the teacher. Like today when somebody was like, shut up. And then they had to exit the room. Um, they, They don't weigh the consequences of their actions. They speak first and think later or they act first and think later. So I was like, some people are like teen brain. That's, that's what it is. That really, yes, yes, yes. Yes. yes, it's a thing. <laughs> Every day of my life, it's a thing. Yep. I mean, I'm not right now, but being a, a youth pastor and whatnot to middle schoolers and high schoolers. Oh boy. Oh boy. Do teenagers drive me nuts, but holy moly, I love them. <laughs> I mean, I love my job. I chose this job, but at the same time, teen brain is a real live a thing. Real thing. Yeah, that is one of the only populations of people that I have actually never worked with I have not worked with well I've worked with like young teenagers I think 13 is probably the highest and then it's you know past that but I was actually going to say that when I first saw the episode I thought that Malcolm said team brain oh and I had thought this because when Malcolm was explaining the scene he was 
talking about this dichotomy between the pool setup where everything was kind of childish, like they threw all the office stuff in the water versus the um, cadaver, like the mm -hmm. act that they murdered someone. Yeah. Um, and that made me think of that he had said team brain as in one person was being childish and was like, let's throw all this stuff in the pool while the other person was kind of like the big mastermind and someone who actually wanted to kill this guy. Um, hopefully that's something that we can explore in a future episode where we do have sort of, you know, two separate minds going on or maybe some sort of like a fully ado sort of situation. That would be kind of cool. Um, also, I don't think that team brain is like a technical psychological forensic no. term. I, I didn't think so. <laughs> but, but I count it as absolutely medical and real. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there is, there is group think that's real. <laughs> Right. And I, I'm kind of intrigued, like, now that you say that, I, I don't know that, have we had, like, a pair, like, a killing duo or anything? I don't think we have yet, have we? I don't, I don't think so. We I had it's all been individual all people. So now we're headed into some church with some fire and brimstone. And for that, let's kick it over to Jess. <laughs> with the weather. That's what that sounded like. <laughs> now let's go to Jess for sports. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so there's there's a few bible references religious references in this episode and it's kind of funny it's just interesting because the last episode was so highly like drenched in it because it took place at a church with demonology and things like that so that makes sense uh, uh but these references probably wouldn't be around whatsoever if martin's exodus attempt escape attempt wasn't being disguised as a bible study so one of the things that i had to make as a key point to myself was to remind myself i had to go back and watch the very end of last episode when friar pete <laughs> oh boy are uh, and martin are talking outside and he mentions the bible study and i didn't entirely hear him say we have uh uh, a service for the faithful who are interested in Exodus. So I was like, oh, duh, of course, it's not a real Bible study for the purposes of Bible study. It's, right. you know, it's so that people can commune and figure out a way to get out of there. So anyway, I won't go nuts with theology references at, uh, and whatnot. I had to like get myself to stop because there's really <laughs> no reason for the crazy. I don't need to explain nearly as much as last year, uh, last episode. Jeez. <laughs> It's a long week, man. Anyway, uh, I looked up what Friar Pete is reading from, and I don't know why they chose this. It's random. It's just kind of thrown in there. So I kind of am curious if they put a Bible open on the wall and took a dart and threw it at it and went, yeah, that looks good. <laughs> because it's really random. So uh, he says the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with mighty angels and flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God. So obviously that brings about uh, images of uh, fire and brimstone and Armageddon possibly. So that's actually from a book in the New, Ta New Testament called Second Thessalonians. It's chapter one and a portion of verse seven and all of verse eight. It, like I said, is random. It's it, from an extremely short book, which was just a an epistle, which is a fancy way to say it's a letter written to a group of people, which this was written to a specific church of people at that time. And 
really all that's in it is there's an, a reference of the second coming of Christ, uh, which I spoke about last week a little bit uh, in Revelation regarding the uh, um, the, the devil, the uh, Abaddon. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then essentially... There's, there's some kind of reference in that context of like karma, essentially. You reap what you sow. Uh, the only maybe connection I could pull out of it in this is that he's saying this verse to a group of people who clearly have done some wrong things and will be judged upon judgment day for what they've done. So it's kind of ironic he that he himself has. Yes. I mean, he's yeah. In so it's kind of ironic. On a murder spree. Yeah. So there isn't really any big deep meaning. I mean, there's definitely a completely different verse or passage that they could have chose, but it's random. It's a piece of it. That was where I poured some of my research into. So I think it's kind of interesting. I, I have, I was raised in kind of like a Southerny Baptist style church. Um, and my husband is Catholic and more recently we had been to like, you know, Catholic masses and things of that nature. And I just felt like his delivery of that was way more kind of Southern Baptist than Catholic priest. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and I, I don't, and admittedly, I've not been to a multitude of Catholic masses and maybe Carol can kind of yeah. speak on that, but that reminded yeah. me of like the Southern pastor in the pulpit, repent you sinner, mm -hmm. uh, like that whole. Mm -hmm. And I was like, is that really how a priest would deliver that line? Mm -hmm. I mean, it yeah. works. Yeah. And but... he's not a priest. He's a, he's a friar, which is closer to like a monk or a nun in the Catholic tradition, uh, like a lay person. But yes, you're, you're very correct with that fire and, and brimstone and, and whatnot. Like the kind of yelling from the pulpit is very much like a Southerny yes. style. Yes. And I didn't thing. look yeah. up the translation. I, could have taken mm -hmm. i seriously this is how my brain works i literally would have looked up what translation he was using based on the actual words <laughs> but that is not he is not preaching you don't have to a, do that much homework this week it's okay <laughs> i know right he is not preaching from a king james bible so it would so it would right. sound a lot more old englishy or whatever so yeah. yeah no they don't sound like that in a catholic church <laughs> it's more just like very subtle like i swear to god I don't swear to God, actually. <laughs> do not do that. Like, on the Brit, cut it. Brit, cut it. <laughs> no, keep it in. Because this is the Catholic Church. They're like, I swear to God. No, I don't. <laughs> They're just like, you had better not do this. I swear. Like, it's just very subtle. Like, you're a horrible person. Mm -hmm. And that's that. And I'm just going to say it calmly. Yeah, I'm just going to calmly tell you that all of you, except for me, suck. <laughs> <laughs> that's catholicism i love it, I love it. so, so yeah, in so this I was kind of little that there sermon i'm sorry andy no you're fine we'll just restart you can start with the i'm kind of bummed go so, uh yeah so i was just kind of bummed that there wasn't actually some big deep meaning in this random passage a random sentence from the bible that they threw in but whatever i'm really intrigued as to how much of this episode had to get either added or rewritten because of frank's absence like you have to imagine like i once we found out about that, I was picturing like the next episode's writer going like shit, 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 because they would have had their script done, sure. which I'm sure included Frank. And then it's like, oh my God. And then now you either have to rewrite every scene he's in or add some scenes with other people that we weren't planning and now they need that script. And I mean, they go through changes and dailies, whatever. That's not a big deal. But as the writer, you're just going, oh God, how do we fix it? What do we do? 
we had like four minutes of him talking at some point. Now we have to fill that four minutes with something else. And it doesn't seem like a lot, but it is like most of these really powerful scenes are two minutes or less. Mm -hmm. So that I imagine them just being like, ah! <laughs> so back in church, um, we meet brother Daryl, which like two episodes in a row here. Um, I got to have a Broadway nerd moment. Daryl is played by Song Galja, who is another bored legend in Broadway. Um, most recently, he was Toulouse-Lautrec in Moulin Rouge the Musical, which I saw twice, and I got to meet him once at the stage door. Um, very unique voice, very um, kind actor. You know, like he, he's a very talented man, and I was super excited when I kind of looked on the IMDb, and I was like, holy crap, another one. Um, and we have Alan Cumming coming in soon, who Broadway icon, like the MC from Cabaret. Um, so I'm like, I'm like, I'm so excited that we film in New York and that now that Broadway is shut down. We're just opening the doors and like, bring me your people. Like we need Sutton Foster. We need Aaron Tveit. We need Karen Oliva. Let's bring all these famous people in, shall we? Bette Midler, let's go. She's busy. Let, we need something for her to do. And before we leave... We find out, first of all, that Daryl's got some contraband, some sketchy business in the holy word. <laughs> yeah, so I actually <laughs> sat at work today. So when I pause on Hulu, it blurs out a lot of stuff and makes it dark and I can't read, I can't see finer details. So I screenshot really quick the minute he opened his Bible up because I was like, all right, I got to see what page of the Bible this is. And I scoured it for a few minutes to figure out, uh, to grab a verse that I could look up. And it actually ended up being in a different spot than I thought it would be. Uh, but again, my research didn't really lead me to anywhere, just like the last Bible verse I referenced. So they probably just picked something random. There honestly has, this has no meaning to any plot point, but I'm going to tell you anyway, the book that, uh, or the book of the Bible that this is from, the page that we see is from a book called Haggai, H-A-G-G-A-I. That person is a minor prophet of the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament. And yeah, he has a King James Bible. And we see like, we can see a portion of verses 8 through 13 in chapter 2. And yeah, there's really no significance. The rest uh, has been cut out for a yeah. shiv and some key cards. Yeah, yeah. I've been oh, taught man. to... Uh, <laughs> been taught not to pull bible verses out of context but obviously i didn't want to go crazy with it because it has no meaning here <laughs> but uh for any of you theology people uh that might like this that whole book or at least that portion of the book had to do with them rebuilding god's temple and really old crazy okay sorry not crazy but like really old legalistic law stuff hmm. okay I mean, this is a, it's not a Bible study. It's a Bible study. So are we really that surprised? Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. They're just gonna, you know, if the word Jesus and amen and all that is in there. Yeah, it's a Bible study. The guards yeah. are just like, okay, fine. The guards, and the guards like they are don't paying as much attention as Mr. David does when speaker phones on. They wouldn't <laughs> like Pete could be up there going, and the Yankees won the 1990 blah blah blah, and they'd have no idea. <laughs> no, then they would pay attention because that's New York sports. Otherwise, right, yes. <laughs> yo, yeah, so it would need to be like you know, Houston is now. <laughs> 
No, it'd be the Red Sox. And then they would <laughs> throw projectiles. There would be a prison fight. <laughs> the, the Baston. The Baston in, in New York. At the 11.56 mark, we find out that Malcolm was indeed locked in a closet for three days. My poor baby. Things here. I know. Can we just, like, <laughs> hug puppy Malcolm at this point, please? I have um, something to, like, rant about uh, about that later, like, when we find oh, okay, other details right. out. Like, it's always, I'm sorry, it's always a little disnerving, like, not, like, unnerving to see completely shaved Tom. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's because of the Jesus from, from Walking Dead versus his scruff now. Like, to oh. see, I love that this is our go-to for, like, shave, shave 18. <laughs> like, that's magically <laughs> how it works. The 38-year-old just transforms into a teenager. When but he shaving. does it, though. He, this, this episode in particular. it's better than most shows trying to age back yes. a kid. I, yes, yeah, I agree. This episode, he genuinely looks like he did when he was in his 20s. And I think, I think the longer hair is contributing. Like in season one, their fix was, we're going to part it on a different side. Yes. <laughs> and now he's at Harvard. But it's you like, didn't no. have as much to work with there. Whereas yes. now the adult like slicks it back versus, you know, emo Malcolm is like <laughs> looking through his strands of hair, you know, like handling that business. Um, I know we talked about this last week. I'm not going to hit on it a lot. Like there's just so many parallels here between him and John Watkins in terms of being stuck in a closet, bullied by someone, mm -hmm. all of that stuff. One thing I kind of want to touch on, and I've heard some people on social media too. Unfortunately, I should have actually like written down names. So sorry, shout out to you lovely people. I think I'm a little bit annoyed with Jessica because Bright says, my mom's sending a car. We're going to the Hamptons. So Bright didn't get in a car and for three days, she didn't come to look for where the F her yep. son was. Yep. Okay. That was what I was going to rant about like later. Cause I, Sorry, I, I didn't mean to steal your thunder. Please, rant no, 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 that's go. fine. Go. I thought it was later in the, later in, later in the episode, but I was like, he's a minor. Someone was sending a car for him and he was expected to be somewhere for the weekend. How did he spend three days in a freaking closet? If the last place he was no, like known to be was the school. I don't know. But like I that driver like that knew. Yeah, that driver knew he was picking Malcolm up. Yeah, yeah, they, Adolfo. Up, like, come on. Do your job, <laughs> like, Adolfo. Come on, bro. What's going on? You had one job. <laughs> you could have walked in there and requested Master Malcolm or whatever you call him um, <laughs> in his lordship or whatever you say. <laughs> your grace. <laughs> <laughs> Man, oh, I love us. I can't hear that without thinking of Bridgerton now. So <laughs> I, I went the same place. I'm glad Seriously. you did that. I went the same place too. Um, so before I go into my other mini rant of the episode, have we seen any kind of Malcolm signs of claustrophobia before? I racked my brain and I don't think that that has something that has showed up yet prior. I don't know. I don't know if he's ever been put into I don't, one of those situations. I don't situations, think he's ever been so. in a situation where that would come up really in, in season one. I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah, because no, even when he's being held captive, it's in a big room in a basement. So yeah. I don't know that that really. Counts. And he wasn't alone. Yeah. Yeah. So, Someone correct us that if was we're just wrong. Interesting. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. But yeah. you would think then elevators would maybe be an issue for him, and he's never really, unless he yeah. knows like that's gonna open and it's all good. Yeah. Well, yeah. Now we need Malcolm stuck on an elevator having a panic attack. Throwing that out there, writers. Just just throwing that out there. Well, I mean, let's look forward a couple episodes to the synopsis that just came out. Wink, wink, in nudge, an nudge. Oh, boy. Shaft. Uh, yeah, um, no. 
<laughs> so my other mini gripe, and it's kind of a little bit of a bigger gripe, but I'm trying to hold it back a little. At, at 12.38, we have the line, I wasn't born with the tremor. It didn't happen until years after my arrest. Or my arrest. My father's arrest. <laughs> um, I'm going to call BS on that because we watched baby Malcolm get interviewed by what we thought was bad cop and his hand shook in the interrogation room his tremor was present and i'm a little perturbed no disrespect miss randolph you rock that they kind of made it look like this moment is where the tremor started yeah and it's not that tremor is courtesy of martin whitley Whitley. at least that's what we were told all the first season like tremor is related to martin so I was a little bit like, I know that we kind of have multiple writers and maybe they're not always, but this writer wrote internal affairs as well. Mm. And they're full, like, so they're in the know. It. It's not like new to the season or anything like huh. that. Like it's someone that would have been around. Um, so I'm just, I'm a little bit perturbed at like, why are we pretending like that's all different now? That's not hmm. how it was before. Yeah. Um, I don't blame you. I mean, in the grand scheme of things to gripe about, is it the hugest? No, but I feel no. like that might be the biggest thing that they've kind of either omitted or completely changed. Yeah. Hopefully no, that's like a one-off and it'll happen, you know, whoops, we didn't catch that continuity error, whatever. Um, but let's, let's not make, we don't need to delete things from season one. Season one was like beautiful. Let's leave mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Real quick shout out to Willie. Yes, <laughs> Daryl's cellmate. I just wanted to give him a shout out because you know, he's real, and uh, you know we love you, Boo. Nice to meet you, Willie. It's been real. At sixteen fifteen, what may very well be my favorite scene of all time, yes. we have Malcolm soaking wet in a suit. God bless you, Lisa Randolph. I'm not even mad about the tremor thing anymore. I'm over it. It's fine because you gave me this moment. I am okay now. I am so happy with whatever audio engineer just turned up the volume for the sound of the squeaking feet that you hear as he enters. <laughs> yeah, because you can hear him out in the hall. Yep, and yep, I, yep. Think, I think even Gil turns to be like, what? Yes. Yes, exactly. Like I heard, I heard the feet and I was like, oh boy, oh boy. And just the delivery when he finally comes in, I was like, that was so worth it. And I love that they kind of let Malcolm be comedic in this scene where it's like, oh, here's my wallet that's just doused in water. And here's my probably $40,000 watch that's been done in the phone. Who needs phones? I'm Malcolm Bright. Flop that down on the thing. (laughs) I break them every other episode. Dripping everywhere. I was like, first of all, God bless Tom, because best case scenario, they were dunking his head in water consistently. Oh, I'm thinking thinking from a production standpoint, from a production standpoint, if you need someone to be wet, you do not water them, you oil them because oil stays that way much longer for continuity. So I want to know, was the suit really water wet or was that oil? Oh, that's so uncomfy though. Like, I, I, I'm assuming the hair was like every so often they were like yes. spraying him to get the hair right because yeah. they're not going to oil the man's head. But I want like if that suit really was oil or maybe he just went out and they had like a fake shower and he just and then went back in for the scene. But I'm like continuity wise, once it starts to dry, that's really hard to keep up on. Yeah. So I was like, if that was really like that oily stuff, 
bless oh. his heart oh man yeah. that adds so much to like yes my sensory like I, I don't necessarily have a bunch of sensory issues but I have certain sensory avoidances and wet clothing or wet anything on me is one of them I can't even stand my hair like damp after like yeah. a, the day after the shower if I um if I leave my hair up I can't I can't do it so like watching him walk in completely drenched in water I was just like mm, oh, oh, mm, just so nope, casually nope, waterlogged nope, nope, nope. and then that makes it even worse if it's if it happens to be oil I never even thought of that mm -hmm. yeah I also am just in love with the facial, like Robert De Niro facial expression he makes when he says fight the power, Molly. And he has like the frown. Fight the power, Molly. I, can't, I can't even do it. I, I can't. But it reminded me so much of like De Niro when he made this like frowny thing, like mm, fight the power, Molly. So and the way he said it, I was like, well played, Tom. I'm glad we gave him some moments. Like I'm dripping. Yeah, water does that. Like he was so deadpan in that entire scene. Yes, yes. Yeah. And, and I, I also I love pissed off Malcolm. Like let's put yes. pissed off Malcolm in way more scenes. He's yes. my new favorite. Yes. And I, I thoroughly <laughs> enjoy the fact that Gil, for the most part, wasn't phased when Malcolm walked in the room. He yes. was just like, just yep. looks up. Like looks even the teacher right. was okay. highly confused. But Gil was just like, okay. This is my disaster child. He is here to lecture you today. <laughs> He's here. The condition does not matter. He's present. So a lot of people have kind of made jokes about like, that this episode seems like a Gossip Girl, Prodigal Son crossover or whatever. Um, I saw multiple of that. Like, I'm loving this crossover. But I'll be honest, and maybe I'm aging myself a little bit. This had way more of like a Cruel Intentions vibe for me than it did a Gossip Girl vibe. And if you've never seen Cruel <laughs> Intentions, that's fine. You should watch it. It's from the 90s. Reese Witherspoon, Ryan Felipe, Selma Blair. Great cast. Oh. oh. Um, but it is very much a, it's, it's, it's a prep school, rich kids doing each other dirty and screwing each other over and stuff like that. There was another movie in the 90s called Killing Miss Tingle that I watched that had Katie Holmes back in the Dawson's Creek days. Um, and they again rich kid prep school teacher is not going to give them the recommendation or they're not going to give them the gpa they need to get into the school so they literally hold this woman hostage and plan to kill her in her house oh. it's horribly Jeez. 90s but it's but it just that's what it kind of reminded me of like i felt like i know guys i've never watched gossip girl admittedly mm. has yeah, its moments in terms of like you know debauchery and negative things but like, I mean, this is full on murder. So I'm like, maybe that happened in Gossip Girl. You can correct me, folks, if y'all know. I've never watched it. Um, but it had that kind of vibe for me of like the, we're the rich kids and we're going to get what we want no matter what kind of scenario going on there. Well, there's so much white privilege in this whole thing. It's just Oh, terrifying. Lord. Oh, well, speaking of, God, what a great segue, Carol. Mwah. How the hell was Louisa not arrested for punching Adresa in the stomach? Yeah. You assaulted... NME. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My only argument here is maybe the thing that Gil said about, well, the high price lawyer is just going to come in and tell her to shut up. So if we want to get intel, maybe we need to send yeah. her to Jess. But even then, like that wench should have been in bracelets. You punched, first of all, anyone. That's called mm -hmm. assault, period. But yeah. you punched Adresa. And Adresa did not get justice for Adresa. We need shirts. Justice for Adresa. Justice. All right. All right. Need them. Let's do it. it. Justice for Adresa. The Next week's coming. giveaway prize. <laughs> Jess is going to make it. Justice for Adresa. She deserves it. <laughs> At 2508, we have another flashback to Malcolm getting thrown into the closet. And Mr. Tom Payne's crackled scream breaks my freaking 
mm-hmm. art. I rewound it multiple times because I'm a wumpy. I guess oh, that's what Angie. I do. <laughs> but I like it. It is so well done. It's one of those. It's so horrible. It's good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the way he delivers that vulnerability and that fear and that I just my heart breaks every time. Like it's yeah. soul crushing mm-hmm. and so good. Like so well done. Not that I'm shocked, but so well done. I do have a music nerd moment. I wasn't sure if I was going to get one this episode, but I finally found it. At 2656, we have what I call find the shoebox round two. (laughs) And I will explain what that means. So um, the scene where Malcolm has now been told supposedly that Martin called and kind of ratted his real last name out. And he goes back to see his father in Claremont. And at the beginning of this scene, there's these really low strings that kind of do this do like kind of over and over. Sorry, I don't sing. Um, and I was like, I know this, I've heard this. Where have I heard this? So then I had to go to my, my music because I have the score and I listen to like every score. I know this is something he's done before. I know. And it's one of the first season scores called find the Shoebox," which happens to be from the trip. Ah. Coming full circle there, Omar, I see you. Um, and it is the opening sounds of when he's hallucinating. So it's not when the box is on the stairway or anything like that. But once Malcolm is in the cell with, he thinks it's Martin, but it's actually himself in the trip. This is the same score that plays during that part while he's hallucinating and yelling at himself um, when he starts talking to Martin. And I'm intrigued as to if it has to do with the director, like a little Easter egg to themselves. Like, hey, this is from my old, I don't know. Um, Or if it just fits because it's super menacing. Like those low strings are really creepy and really give you like this ominous emotion when you do that. So shout out to the trip. And right after we have Martin's trigger, which is you're not a good dad. Anytime Martin gets told he's a bad papa, she at hits the fan. <laughs> I was so happy when this happened. I was just living it. I am Anytime all for- someone serves him back. He yes. deserves to get served every time. Yes please punish this abuser. He is an abuser. He is an awful, awful freaking person. <laughs> now we love Michael and we love the way he plays the character. Yes. But Martin with Martin. Sketchy sucks. AF. Yes. Um, and then my whole big section, I'm not going to read this whole thing because I just went on a rant where he says, you're the only person I could never hurt. And just in big letters, I just have bullshit and lies yes. in all capital letters in my notes. Because I'm like, let, let me read the list. You chloroformed your son for an ungodly <laughs> amount of time. You may or may not have diabolically planned his murder mm-hmm. and almost went through with it. Mm-hmm. You tried to groom him to be a killer like you. And then you gaslight and manipulate his ass until he's 32, 33. Don't tell me you can't hurt him. Do not serve. Coming for Thank you. Thank you. For you. <laughs> Thank you, like, Angie. Oh my gosh. I can't. Like, I'm like, the, the minute I said that, like my blood pressure went up. I'm like, yes. like mm-hmm. it made me so mad. Yeah. I have so many notes on my phone, which I'm just not going to repeat because it was just, it was literally just key smashing and me being furious at this words. I'm not going to say because we haven't <laughs> paid for, for, for expletives on Spotify yet. <laughs> We need to let Britt get a bleep sound. So anytime we say it, it's like. Yeah. And then I'm just going to have to hold down the button for a very long time. And then she can just witness protection our mouth with the little blur there. So my other thing that I am going to be up in arms about if necessary is 
not that Martin is not capable of horrible things and he has already done things that are inexcusable, but if that man touches a hair on Mr. David's head, oh my God, heads will roll, my friends. Yes. We will start a riot. We will ride at dawn. It is going down. If you come for Mr. David, the prodigies are coming for you, yeah. Martin Whitley. Yes. Yeah, I saw that all over Twitter. That night, everyone was like, don't touch Mr. David. Leave Mr. David alone. Him and Hector, I swear to God, if you shank Hector, dude, that's it. <laughs> I'm done. Tap out, Martin. Any chance you had of reconciliation is gone. So at 30.04, I'm going to say it. I'm just going to say it. Malcolm staring down Delaney and walking into that tiny little vault is some big dick energy. I'm just saying it right now. I don't even care if it's inappropriate. I Again, I rewatched this multiple times. That look he gives like, bitch, and he walks into the room. I just went, yes, sir. And because he was so mouthy and terrified about it and almost passed out from a panic attack, just looking at the door frame the first time it went down. And so it's such a moment where Delaney's like, ooh, like, because he just, yes, sir, and walked right in. And I just went, oh, yes, Malcolm, get it, brother. Mm-hmm. And during this scene, which kind of, it flows in and out with the fact that Martin is also in another Bible study and doing some sketchy business there. But the majority of what I'm talking about has to do with when it flashes back to Delaney and Malcolm talking. Um there is a really cool new version of the We're the Same theme that he's that Bloom has never done before. Um, and it's it's super subtle. It kind of mixes some of the notes, so it's not perfect, but the main kind of melody is there. And it has these really cool, it, it's something about this episode. It's not like club beat, but there are special <laughs> effect sounds in behind it that are not normally there with the strings and the other version of that theme. And it was just like, again, there was another moment where I got so focused on the score that my loser butt had to rewind to listen to the show instead of paying attention to the score behind it. Very that's fair. Me. Very fair. <laughs> so it, it just, it gives us this great creepy vibe and also like, almost like a power switch vibe, which is kind of what's happening. Like Delaney is not so much in the power anymore as Malcolm is that he's walking in to that space and willingly being in there. Yeah. At 3132, my notes, I'm just going to read them word for word. I would follow Danny into battle any day. Where do I sign? <laughs> That's what I put as she's entering that house to come after Anna. Oh my God. And then the rock music that plays in like the guitar. I was like, yes, bitch, here we go. <laughs> here she is. Yeah, this I was like, just woman. go get him, queen. This is where I have laid my affections. Like, <laughs> And I've seen like, people, I think, I don't know if it was on Twitter or Tumblr, people were putting uh, GIFs or screen caps of that next to when she took down the assassin in what was that? Yes! In that dress, yes! like a freaking Or, or in the dress, or that, that too. Yes. Or that too. Yes. Oh, you're talking about Nightingale. Okay, you're talking yeah. about Nightingale. But, yeah. uh, but either of them, but it, the one I saw was the yes. Nightingale. But yeah. And aptly, like right after that, Prodigal Son released that Danny Powell appreciation uh, video. Yes, and I was it, like, give her yes, the respect. Yes, the, guy, the actor that plays Delaney is Campbell Scott. Um, and I really appreciated in that final kind of scene he has before Louisa pops in, he, he is such a soft-spoken actor, but is still really menacing. Like, there's no oh. point in this episode where he kind of really raises his, like, voice. I said hand because you raised your hand. Uh, <laughs> he never really raises his voice, even when he's like, yeah, I run the cheating ring. Rah. Like, he's very soft-spoken. 
and it but there was something very unique about his voice but then also like he still delivers the creep a little without having to be verbally aggressive back in the library in that fancy very fancy i've never seen one of those very Mm -hmm. fancy vault uh if that scene looks really familiar once uh once they show louisa popping in and and whatnot it's because that if you've seen the show you they have the exact type it you know not the exact same one but a book vault uh joe has that in his bookstore because he restores old books and whatnot and those you know it's climate controlled humidity controlled oxygen uh suppression fire suppression system to get rid of the oxygen and everything else no sprinklers to protect some really old books so i don't know if that was intentional but uh, like from the writers or whatnot like a callback to you know that show if you've seen it on netflix if you haven't it's interesting i don't know it's pretty interesting I watched it. I liked it. But yeah, that was that was cool to see that. I had, I saw some people on Twitter being like, "Hey, that was in that that's that's a similar scene to what went on in you." Yeah, and this is also where I want to point out that this is pretty much the second time that Malcolm has been wrong about who the killer really is. The only other time being when we went back to was it episode 7 all all souls and sadists. I keep thinking it's all saints and sinners, and I don't know why. <laughs> is, that, <laughs> is that a Fall Out Boy song? I think it is. <laughs> the only other example of that being the All Souls and Sadists episode where we have Isaac, which Bright was very tripped up by. But I just found it very interesting how anytime there is a case that somehow relates to a trauma that Malcolm has been through, he is unable to completely separate the two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Which leads us into him kind of hoodwinking um, Louisa and to an extent the fandom for a hot second, yes. <laughs> claiming that he has killed somebody too. Um, I gotta be honest, I know there's a, a section of the fandom that really wants Malcolm to just kind of, you know, over a cliff and, and let's do it. Um, my biggest thing is again, that's another thing that does not track Malcolm would not be having the traumatic issues he's having right now with just the the minor I guess minor the things he's had to do with Endicott had he killed someone previously yeah mm-hmm. it's just not it doesn't track he would not be losing his mind about this if it's something that he's already experienced and processed and potentially unlocked the whole am I my father from first season would not have mattered because he would have already killed someone 10 years, 20 years ago, you know, like whatever, like it just doesn't track. So for me, the minute he said it, I just went, no. Like, I mean, it, it makes zero sense. It negates the first season to consider that he would have done that in high school. Yeah. And I, and, and I thought he was referring to Endicott when he I said that, too. even though obviously Same. we all witnessed that it was not him. Yes. Yeah. But just the fact that I think I mentioned it last episode, like Ainsley thinks he did it. And mm. when he keeps talking to Martin, they keep talking in terms of him having killed Endicott. So it's like yeah. a lot of things are conf- like technically kind of confirming that he killed somebody, even though we know right. he didn't. Right. Well, he's kind of buying into it too. In yes. a way. Right. Yeah, I, I that, kind that of too, wonder if he's, part of him is buying into it a little bit. It's sort of like that interrogation technique if i tell you that you did something enough times you eventually start to believe it mm-hmm. i was just gonna I say that now, i was actually just gonna say if that he's, <laughs> if he's gotten to the point where he has 
dismembered a man and shipped him across the world I think in his head he's like I am capable of this it may not have happened yet but he shifted to the I could actually have done that yes so there's a moment in this flashback that I just adored and it's this close-up of Malcolm looking at him on the ground and he's part like slightly silhouetted which is something I'm obsessed with tracking for this show because they always silhouette a character that's in peril or trauma um, especially in the first season anytime Malcolm was in danger a lot of times there was a shot of him or going through something traumatic there's a shot of him in in silhouette and so it's partial you can absolutely see his face but there's a backlight from a window behind him that is kind of obscuring you a little bit um and then he's got the blood splatter and that is really becoming a theme this season um to like moments where we can get blood on his face cough also on his hands cough cough um, it's very much like a symbolic thing of, you know, you're responsible for some of this. Like you've put blood on your hands and your face by doing this stuff with Endicott. And I'm wondering how many more times that's going to pop up as a common theme. And also the look that, that Tom gives, like just the kind of indifference yes. is very telling of maybe future issues now that, that, that future Malcolm is going through. Like it's, it's the like, do I care? Hmm. Like you have to think about, do you care about this dude or not? And yes, of course he goes the, the way of good and, and does it the right way, but he considered it for a second. He that, sure. yeah, that look that he gave actually scared me into thinking, oh, maybe we're not going to be hoodwinked. Maybe he actually did kill this yeah. guy. Like agreed. <laughs> that was yeah. terrifying. So English teacher moment and also English teacher morning as in M O U R morning. Um, at 39.15, Malcolm's way out is to set this book on fire. And not just a book on fire, fine, that's not a big deal. But he says, sorry, Mr. Marlowe. Christopher Marlowe was a playwright who was one of the kind of slightly ahead of, a couple years ahead of Shakespeare, but Shakespeare very much kind of overshadowed him as he gained popularity. He is really famous for writing like Dr. Faustus and a lot of other plays from that same Elizabethan time period. And he's really famous for a poem he wrote about Helen of Troy that opens with the line, is this the face that launched a thousand ships? Ooh. That gets used in a lot of like other movies and things to talk about a woman's beauty. Mm. Um, even action movies or something, they'll see like a hot girl or something like, oh, there's a face that launched. Like it gets said a lot um, related to Helen of Troy. And so that was just a little moment where I was like, oh, Christopher Marlowe. Hmm. Um, he was also kind of noted to be a little bit more graphic in terms of death and things um, mm -hmm. that his predecessors might not have been. Um, mm -hmm. Not nearly as, uh, Shakespeare was definitely the dirty comic of, <laughs> of the Elizabethan era. But like, let's have penis jokes and this and that and the other. Yay, go me. Um, but, but, uh, Marlo kind of had the, he had like the real serious kind of love stories and this and that, but then also if there was death, it was a little bit more than stage death in his stuff. He had a lot, which fits with our show. Yeah. And unfortunately any book that he grabbed in that vault was going to be some kind of Something, valuable yeah. piece. Like there's no, there's no it just like random pamphlet chilling in there or some kids. Yeah, book. At least like, it wasn't like, like a Gutenberg Bible or yeah, something, oh, you know, like, <laughs> or something I, like oh, that. I would have freaked out. <laughs> oh, oh, the table. <laughs> Which brings us to 4021. And it's my favorite part of this entire episode. 
Malcolm impersonates Gil. Oh, yes. And before that, we have to discuss Blinky Bright Blinky and how. <laughs> no, it's Blinky Bright. Blinky Bright, yes. We need the uh, alliteration. Blinky Bright. Yes, we use just. Yeah, I'm not so sure. Like, what about almost asphyxiating needs you to have a blanket in the conference room like six hours later? Like none of you weren't in cold water. You weren't left out in an Arctic tundra. Why is he in a blanket other than to be adorable, which I'm okay with. He probably just came back and he was like, you know, I'm still kind of cold after. You can't can't be mad at me, Gil. I'm cute. I'm I'm adorable. (laughs) And now I'm going to make fun of you. Like, (laughs) it's like a fire. You started a fire. I, I have to imagine that Lou just died. Yes. There had to be multiple bloopers, which we yes. need to see in yes. the future. Please. Yes. I'm not bitter. And then wasn't and I also Danny, think, yo, go ahead. I, I said, didn't Danny enter the room at that point too? What so like, I'm sure that Aurora would have laughed at that as well. Like the, For sure. that must've. I love Gil's comment after though. He just stops and he's like, it's a bit performative, but yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like I just, we have to write Tom Payne impersonating the rest of the members of this team Please. sometime before the end of season two. Like, yeah. I want to see him do Danny. I will die. I will just absolutely die as he does a Dan or a, a JT impression. Oh my it goodness. would just be amazing. Oh my gosh. Also, so baby JT is giving me life. Baby yes. Tarmel has arrived. I'm so yep. happy. And, and Danny just trying to get a word in edgewise the entire time, like with huge news, can not just, like, and Gil's like, I, yeah, no, 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 I don't have time for this, pal. Like, hold on. I also just want to bring up the plethora of happiness this is going to bring me when he now is trying to figure out both big and little JT's first name. <laughs> He's, it's like I, like I literally said on Twitter, he's going to get a hernia trying to figure out both of their names. Yes, it makes me so happy. Um, so afterwards, we are back with Martin and Malcolm, and Malcolm actually apologizes, which at this point, I think I'm okay with this moment. Like, here's the thing. He, he was wrong. And as much as I really don't want them to have a great relationship, it was a big boy thing to do. That's fine. I feel like Martin is going to take it as way more than it is. But yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that Malcolm's banter with him is basically, you know, shut the fuck up. Like, <laughs> like, like he's literally like, come on, give me this moment. He's like, I'm not apologizing for anything else. <laughs> Apology accepted. Don't care. Like, he's just like shutting him down completely. Like, no, this is not a moment. I'm just apologizing because it's the right thing to do. Do not take this as more than it is. AKA, I'm a better person than you are. Yeah. So, <laughs> They kind of just throw this random, like it has meaning to it, which obviously I will explain in a second, but like kind of just throw this like random verse that Martin just like mumbles out. And I'm curious as to like why he says that, like what it does for him. Um, uh, obviously the imagery is something else that connects to the uh the show so yes this one does have some some meaning some implication with what we saw in the episode but i was just like in our like discussions and whatnot we all have said that like martin's martin wasn't a religious person like didn't i don't know didn't pro- probably didn't like grow up like that so like where did he remember this first from because it's not an extremely common one 
Well, he's uh, been going unless, to Bible study. Yeah, well, that too, but I don't know, they're just picking random verses to scream about, so. Anyway, so uh, he says, and behold, a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And if you look that up, that translation, I don't remember what it was, honestly, to be, uh, I think he kind of like paraphrased the translation, but that is Matthew chapter three, verse 17. So Matthew is one of the four books of the gospels uh, that tell the story of essentially Jesus's life, ministry, and death. And that's where we get that all chronicled. It's the first book in the New Testament. And this verse is, some, is God speaking the minute Jesus is brought back out of the water after being baptized. Hmm. And so right there, we have a connection. Malcolm took a dive in a pool today. So the, the whole, you know, getting dunked in water kind of thing. That imagery well, in three days in a closet. I mean, if that we're going to talk about that too, biblical yep. references, yep. biblical yeah. references. Yep, three days in a closet. Yeah. So three days in a tomb. You know, Jesus mm-hmm. is adding another biblical reference to that. And, and he played Jesus for God's sake. Yes. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, he used to be these Jesus. References are building up in this episode to create a dichotomy and a relationship, another layer of a relationship between Martin and Malcolm, of God and Jesus. Mm-hmm. And like Martin said the words that Matthew has God saying, you know, mm-hmm. behold my son. And he calls him my boy. He calls him my son. And they've and now given us, <laughs> they've now given us at least two pieces of imagery of what is recorded in the Bible is happening in Jesus's life. Mm-hmm. So they're given uh, Martin um, a little bit more of a God complex than he should be having. Well, I mean, he already has his own, but so they're giving him more. And um, and that also is extremely important for those of us that are Christian, because that's two thirds of one of the biggest foundations in our faith, which is the existence of a Trinity, which is just, you know, Father, Son and Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost, if, um, depending on your wording and uh, very hard to explain and any of my fellow theology nerds slash theologians and biblical scholars, please do not uh, call me out as a heretic. I'm just trying to, if you know that when we try to boil down the Trinity, it gets really heretical, but essentially it's three, three in one and they're distinct pieces, but the same thing. Mm-hmm. Very hard to explain. You can kind of use the image of an egg, but that's still heretical because it's not true. <laughs> so anyway, the other prodigies in the fandom beat me to this in terms of like talking about it with other people. But Chris and Tess on Twitter, uh, I've, I've spent a lot of time talking to them. They were part of a, a challenge that I did uh, the, last year in the fandom. So I got to know them really well. They actually started talking about this and uh, they knew I was a, a theology person and whatnot. So they tagged me in it. And so I was like, hey, I haven't gotten to like, think about this and write this stuff down but i'm gonna say stuff about it in the podcast and i will give you guys credit so so shout out to other people in the fandom recognizing certain theological things that make me happy you know it's so funny we do shout outs to people in the fandom Mm, that's true yeah like a fan profile and there's one coming up here in just a second that's pretty rocking Mm -hmm. just gonna throw that out there Okay, so that brings us to this week's fan profile of the week. And for the first time, we finally have someone live. <laughs> we have Pond, ladies and gentlemen, the legend. 
Welcome, welcome. Glad to be here. So first and foremost, we have to talk about the fact that you're like OG fandom, like the go-to, like the godfather of, of the <laughs> fandom. So I feel like we need to maybe discuss that a little bit. How did you come to be a part of it? Were you like original first pilot episode whole time or how did you come to be part? Um, yeah, because I was in Good Omens fandom before. So I followed that trajectory that many people did of... Um, oh, I'm super into Michael Sheen. What is this new show? And uh, then I watched it and I was like, this is really weird because I can see all of his mannerisms and he's a serial killer now. Uh, <laughs> and then um, I just ended up falling in love with Malcolm because of his empathy and all of the um, care and kindness that he shows to people while also dealing with all of his trauma. So that's how I came in. Everybody loves a good chaotic boy. Mm-hmm. In their life. Definitely. So obviously this is a fan profile. So we definitely want to focus on things that are going on for you and um, your contributions to the fandom. So let's talk about your art. Um, <laughs> I, I know that we have had personal discussions, but I definitely want to have it out there for the uh, the prodigies to hear. So how did you come to be in that? And, and how has that become hobby versus job for you? And what is your process like? Yeah, so um, a really long time ago, uh, I was a fan artist. Um, a lot of people may know me from Harry Potter fandom, uh, Full Metal Alchemist. I was a big in a lot of anime fandoms as well. Um, but then uh, I got an office job and a repetitive stress injury and didn't draw for a really long time. So actually coming into Prodigal Sun fandom, um, I started as a writer because that's mostly what I've been doing for the past few years. Um, and then uh, there was a charity auction by my favorite comic artist. And I went wild and bidding uh, to get him to draw Jesus. And in order to raise enough money to outbid the other people in his thread, um, I offered up commissions. So I actually ended up getting back into art simply to win this commission. Um, but by Is then- the one like, that you recently posted? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so the, yeah, the one that you just posted on your social media. Cool. Yeah. Um, so that's actually how I got back into fan art in this fandom. <laughs> um, it was just completely thirst driven. This is an amazing backstory, and I'm living for it. <laughs> and I can relate to this, like thirst driven. I feel like that's just a quote you need on a shirt. Just yes. thirst driven. <laughs> yes. Yep. Like that's food driven experience. Yes. Truth. Truth. So when you do sit down and you decide like, okay, you know, I have this idea, what's, what's your process like? What happens before you actually are putting digital pen to paper? Yeah, you know, like sometimes it's, um, a lot of times it's like, okay, there's a scene I have in my head and I really want to get it out. Sometimes it's just like someone randomly mentions, I would love to see that. And then I'm like, yes, um, <laughs> which is actually the, the Brightwell one that I did with around the couch. Um, that was entirely just someone offhandedly saying this is what I would love to see and I was like okay I can do that um and then you know like I, I do love doing gifts and exchanges for people um that's always something that it's like the collaboration and and that sort of give and take energy of fandom that I really love is like mm -hmm. here I'm going to make you this gift and it's going to make you happy and also other people will like it too and uh it's you know it's like this thing that we both share that we both love 
So speaking of a fandom, you said you come from kind of a Harry Potter fandom, which I mean, that's like universal fandom, international, like galaxy sized fandom, probably compared to, you know, the small little prodigy family. So what's what are some of the major differences there from being like kind of a player in that fandom to being a player in this one? Um, I mean, it's actually kind of interesting because the ages are like the internet era is very different. So um, fandom was much more insular in that it wasn't on many platforms um, or, you know, in terms of like transformative fandom. So people who write fanfic and, and draw fan art or make fan vids, it's like you would have a couple big forums um, or a site like Live Journal. Um, and then now it's like you see it's across the board. It's much more mainstream. Um, the act of shipping itself is like something that is used in the marketing. So um, the feel of it is very different. It's like also coming into a very small fandom where you don't have a ton of fan works. So if you do like a particular dynamic or a particular ship, it's like you're, it's like you've got to make it yourself if you want to see it, right? Yep. Or um, you know everyone in the fandom, which is, I think, uh, the experience of Prodigal Son, where the pool of creators is actually fairly small. So mm -hmm. you tend to get to know, okay, here's these 50 or 100 other people who are like regularly um, putting content out. And then all of a sudden, oh, there's a new face. It's really <laughs> exciting. That is definitely something um, in terms of like thick if you have a particular niche that's not just like, okay, Brightwell and Maldrisa, like everything else, it, it's, it suddenly just tunnels really quickly into what's available and what's not um, once you get out of kind of the two big, I think, moments. So if you're anywhere near kind of an offset of any of those things, you, you lose your, your quantity of content very quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's really, the things that's interesting to me about this fandom is in, in comparison to some of the other large fandoms like Marvel or something is you see that people gravitate towards um, just like case fic and stories that just explore them going through their jobs um, and the sort of found family dynamics um, versus you know a lot of other fandoms where you know the explicit fics are like the number one and that's not true in this fandom. I was about to say like I also I feel like that probably one of the reasons why it's so sort of like case fic heavy and stuff probably just comes with the territory that it's a crime show um, that's based on but yeah I also think that I don't know because I've read a lot of fics from other like crime centered shows um, mm -hmm. and a lot of the times some of the fix like aren't even related to cases period like whatsoever so I think it's just interesting how this fandom is kind of in its own I don't know I don't the term that's coming to mind is a league of its own but I'm not sure if that's exactly where I'm getting at but kind of I don't know I think you have a lot of people who really gravitate to what are the relationship dy dynamics right yes um whether that's Brightwell or Maldrisa or the spicy ships. Um, <laughs> and then you have, you know, the, the people who are really connecting with Malcolm as a character to explore like trauma mm -hmm. or um, 
you know, like, how do I map my own emotions onto this character? And I think he's like, I, I like to call him a little black dress of emotion um, because <laughs> that the way that people relate to him is very personal in a lot of different ways. And you see it like play out in fic. It's like, oh, I want him to be protected because I want to be protected. Yes. Um, and that is outside of the bounds of like, oh, I want uh, to see this character in a romantic relationship. I feel like he has just so many different types of trauma that it's it's like everyone at some point has something that can relate to this poor man. Like he's had relationship issues and horrible daddy issues and oh look at this you know incredibly life altering trauma I experienced as a child and I'm still going through stuff on a like just being a criminal profiler or like an NYPD police officer alone the stuff that you see graphically so frequently like I could not do that job like I cannot be like oh look this person's been dismembered and here's the cut off head would you like to see the way the incision looks that's not something I have in me to do that alone would ruin me and so there's definitely so many different spectrums of like I can pick this out and that out then they they affect me and it makes sense welcome to complex PTSD <laughs> yes ma'am no kidding um, so let's talk about you are publicized or in the process of being published, correct? Uh, yeah, so I have been published in the past. Um, the last book I was in, I was in an anthology of Best Bondage, uh, Erotica Volume 1 by Cleus Press. Um, and the same, uh, same editor, Rachel Kramer-Bressel, has a new anthology coming out. So I'll be in that in December, which is Best Women's Erotica. Um, and I cannot remember the volume name. This is my, like, I'm in publishing and I am my <laughs> own worst nightmare um, for an author. But uh, you can look for it, it's in December um, 2021. And uh, I, I hope you like it. Like anyone who likes my spicy, smutty fic, hopefully will enjoy this. Remember that whole thirst driven thing? <laughs> People will like it, believe yes. me. <laughs> You will also side eye when you read about re read it. I'm sure. Ooh, a tease. I enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything from this episode that you particularly were like? I kind of want to chat about this, or this is something I'd like to to talk about before we wrap up your fan profiles. I mean, yeah, it was interesting because I came into it you know, knowing, okay, there's going to be a bullying storyline. And I was like, okay, I don't really care too much. Um, but I actually really liked the way they handled it. Um, so I know I talked about this on Twitter a little bit where like recognizing how many people in this fandom, you know, have that experience of being bullied. Um, I was on the other side of that. I had the experience of being the bully. Um, and it took me like, the moment of realizing, oh, I'm really hurting this person to make that the sort of conscious life change um, and sort of start that path to like, how do I be a better person? Um, so the fact that that came up in this episode was like really resonated with me and was really interesting from like a, okay, I, I understand the moment that Malcolm had when he's looking at someone and recognizing this person could die, mm -hmm. you know? So that, that was one thing that like, really struck me in this episode. That's such a fresh perspective to have too, because I think so often the more you hear people talk about that stuff, it's definitely from the other side of that coin. Um, and I think it's interesting to hear someone talk about like, look, I recognize that this was happening. I've 
corrected that behavior and I, which is very nice. I don't, we don't hear that side of it a lot. I think whether it's in entertainment um, or otherwise, sometimes it's kind of a, well, they always are like that or, oh, well, people don't really ever change. And that's not the case. You know, like people are very capable of change and it's nice to hear that kind of opposite side. Yeah, and people always tell me, oh, they're really surprised because I'm usually so nice. But it's like, that's something that I have to work hard to do because my own personal trauma and the way that, you know, my initial reaction is how can I wound first? How can I make sure that I'm safe? Because like, it's that, that place of lashing out and when you're young, you know, that's what you do. Um, and so like that idea of, oh, I don't wanna be the person who inflicts that same trauma on someone else. I want to be the person that protects them. So like, that's another like sort of that arching theme um, that I really love about this show. Which I feel like is a great place to kind of round out. I mean, that's, that's Malcolm in a nutshell right there. Like that's the protector emotion. Like he needs to be protected and, and safe. And cause he does for some reason to be capable. I feel like he is capable. He wouldn't have been in the FBI if he wasn't somewhat capable but I feel like he is always attempting like Danny's trying to protect him Gil's trying to protect him JT sometimes <laughs> it's in there trying to protect him um and like you know of course Jessica is just helicopter attempting to protect him on a frequent basis that's kind of everyone's go-to emotion with him is to be that protector yeah I think there's also that sense of you know you, you kind of see it in the way that Tom talks about his character in terms of knowing that capacity um, is is a core part of Malcolm and fearing that capacity, right? The capacity for hurt. Um, and I think that that's something that a lot of the fandom kind of glosses over and mm. is reacting to really strongly in this season because there's that sense of, well, yeah, but he showed those things in season one where, oh, I'm gonna, you know, grab Nico's hand that got reattached out the gate he chopped a man's hand off yeah. why do we forget this like he full-on <laughs> chopped a man's hand off 40 minutes in not even 24 minutes in <laughs> but that's i think that thing of like you know if you if you relate to malcolm's experience from a position of um you know being bullied or being a victim then that's the part that you're really going to pay attention to. You're not right. going to pay attention to the times when, oh, he's lashing out and he's doing something that is hurting someone else. Mm -hmm. That's such a good point. Yeah. Well, before we wrap up our first live fan profile, do you want to kind of shout out to everyone? Where can you be found? Where can your pieces of artwork be found <laughs> potentially <laughs> besides behind my head on the wall? <laughs> Um, yeah, so you can follow me at Ponderosa121 on Twitter or on Archive of Our Own, um, Tumblr, although I don't always use it. And I'm also on Discord where I moderate and all, all ships uh, 18 and over particles on Discord. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you for everything you do in the fandom. We appreciate you. And it's been, it's been so fun to finally have someone on and for it to be you first. We really appreciate it. Yeah. So thank you very much. Thank you, sure. guys. Uh, and also keep an eye out for the giveaway because uh, I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> there may be something in store, prodigies. I don't yes. know. 
So as part of the giveaway this week, I am offering a full color commission uh, up to two characters, your choice, ideally prodigal son, because I would love to draw more. Um, <laughs> so listen for the details on, on how to enter and I look forward to drawing for the winner. Cannot wait to see those. Thank you so much, Pon. Welcome, thanks guys. Bye. Thank you, Pon, bye. Yeah. So promo reactions for next week, now that we've finished off our full episode 203. It is called Take Your Father to Work Day, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. Shit, is that what it's called? Yes. Yeah. If I'm wrong, Britt, you're gonna have to believe that. <laughs> uh, honestly, the, so the first thing that I noticed, and I know I'm gonna be like hugely analytical of, is the fact that Martin, AKA Michael, is playing basketball outside. <laughs> Okay, I played basketball for 18 years. I come from a basketball family. My brother-in-laws play college basketball here in the United States. Um, I like, and I could already tell the way he was shooting it was just like, eh. like and I just went, oh. That's how I play basketball. This is perfect. <laughs> yes. The, the athlete in me just went, wah, wah. <laughs> and that's okay, because you know, it's not an athletic show. It's all good. I'm not going to yeah, listen about it. Um, I am super excited for the long-awaited and much-teased Michael and Keiko scene yeah. where they oh, finally yes, get to right. bring Adresa yes, and Martin yes. together. Uh, that looks that, amazing. Um, that's what I'm the most excited about. Yes. I'm kind of, the one thing, well, there's a couple things, but I'm really excited to see Malcolm kind of hijack group at Claremont. Because oh. he's like, I'm looking for a killer. And then a fight breaks out. Yep. I, from what I could tell, slowing it down, it looks like they're punching the actual like counselor that's in there. At first, I thought someone gets up and punches Malcolm, and I was like, "Holy!" But it, it definitely did not look like Malcolm. Um, we have Ainsley remembering things. Mm -hmm. Body fragments are returning. We knew that was going to be a major theme throughout um, yep. this season. Or if you didn't, come on. Obviously, mm -hmm. that's our overarching theme. And then the big dog, it looks like Martin is just straight up outing his children to Jessica. Full on. Oh, hey, they killed him. You know that, right? And there's this great clip of Jessica like laying behind Ainsley in a bed staring yes. at her like, what have you done? Oh my so gosh. I, I'm really excited, excited at potentially adding this particular little thorn in their side um, because we all know if Jessica's anything, it's subtle and quiet when she <laughs> has something on her mind. <laughs> Yep. Oh boy. Mm -hmm. yeah. so and only just, it, we're ramping it up, man. I mean, we're not even a quarter of the way through the yeah. season and it's hitting the fan and it's hitting the fan in large quantities. That's mm -hmm. what I was just gonna say. Like this is yeah. episode four that we're going into and they're already throwing this around. Like Which I, know I mean it's in we're previews. technically at that's gonna be a third, right? If we have 13 episodes, it's almost at a third. Yep. Um of wow. the season, which makes me cry a little. I don't want to talk about it, but yeah. that's fine. <laughs> um and that kind of wraps up our episode next week. We'll see what yeah. happens when you take your father to work. You so don't forget, we have an amazing commission from Pond this week. The color commission, two characters. This is insane. You want this. Um, and it's really simple. All you have to do is be a follower. So if you already are, cool. If you're not, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. And then all you have to do is retweet or tag in the entry post that we're gonna put on those two things. If you're already a follower on Twitter, just retweet what we have um, and it's automatically gonna put you in. Same deadline, it's a shorter deadline for this cool of a prize, okay? So it's still gonna be, the deadline is 9 p.m. on Tuesdays, Eastern Standard Time. So air dates of the next episode. But 
mean, two two pond commissions in a week. I mean, what is this Christmas? Like, come on. Yeah. The these are serious, serious gifts. So hopefully you guys are out there getting it done. We're trying to bring you some cool stuff from incredibly talented folks in our fandom. So let's bring it and then be sure once it happens to spread it everywhere and let's show the amazing stuff that they have created for you. So that's it folks, that wraps it up. Another episode in the works. It's been a pleasure and we will see you guys next time. See ya. Bye.